standing here. This is Jamie Vernon. He's one of the other pastors here at Tri-Cities Church. And we're glad that you're here on this rainy Sunday morning. Um, I am so excited this morning for a number of reasons. Uh, One is that it's raining and a number of people are sick this morning. But yet we were still able to get everything together and not be super stressed out and everything set up. Because this is a school. These chairs, these speakers, none of this is here on Sunday morning. We come in on Sunday morning and we set all this up. And a number of people were sick and out. Paul, who's normally leading worship, uh, called this morning. He said, I was trying to pull through, but I'm not able to do it this morning. We knew he was sick and trying to make it. And a number of people just aren't feeling, aren't feeling well and aren't feeling their best. Um, but God was faithful. This morning, I, um, I just thought of the scripture when, as all this began happening. And when Paul says, when I'm weak, then, then I'm strong. And basically, when I am weak, that's an opportunity for God to show his strength and show what he's able to do. And so while we may worry, God doesn't worry. Because God knows about everything that we'll face, everything that we'll struggle with, everything that will happen before it ever even happens. Amen? I got a couple of announcements I want to share with you before we get into the message. One is we, we don't talk a lot about um, a lot about giving here at Tri Cities Church. We don't um, we don't even announce the offering every Sunday. We don't pass plates. We don't we don't talk a lot about it, but it is one of our core values. It's something that we we firmly believe in. We believe that God um, desires for us to be generous givers. It, it's it's key. It's core to who we are as a church. It's an absolute. It's something that, that I like to say we don't compromise on. These these values are things that we don't compromise on. There's a scripture in Genesis chapter um, 12. I just want to share with you. Um, this is when God is speaking to Abraham. He says, "I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you." This is, I believe, one of the first times that this principle appears in Scripture, and that is that God blesses in order that we might be a blessing. You may hear that repeated from time to time here because that's um, one of the things that we firmly believe is that's that God blesses us. Um, that blessing may be large. That blessing may not be um, large in, in kind of the human sense, but God blesses us in order that we might be a blessing, in order that we might give. And so on these tables, these are four bu- their buckets on each of the four tables, and those are for giving. Um, those are for our offering and so that we can um, give generously. And then also those connection cards that are on your seat. Um, if you're here for the first time uh, or um, have a prayer request or anything like that, those are also um, just, you can drop those in the bucket as well after the service. If you would fill one of those out, and we, we love praying for um, what's happening in people's lives and things that they're going through. Um, and so and we really do we really do. You know, it's one of those things, you know, when somebody says, I'll pray for you, and they don't really, or you might be thinking they might not really, or, or you ever said in a rush, I'll pray for you and, and you, and then you forget about it at the end of the week, and you know, you said you would pray for somebody. We really do pray for um, people who fill out those connection cards because we believe that um, God not only hears our prayers, but that God intervenes in our situation um, in the way that only God can. And so that's, that's important. This, this, today we're having our picnic after church um, and our Easter egg hunt, and it'll be indoors and because it is raining. Um, but this is for everyone. This isn't just for people with kids. It's just a time to hang out and to fellowship and to get to know people better. Um, and so I invite you that, um, that if you're here, just stay, hang out a little bit. We'll have some food, I think some hot dogs, some um, baked beans, some things like that, just, just general picnic food, and then we'll have an Easter egg hunt um, as well. And it'll be a fun time. All right? I think that's all of my announcements. 
Um, well, let me announce one more thing. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Um, Easter Sunday is a big Sunday in that um, a lot of people are more receptive to invitations. A lot of people, if you invite them to come to church for Easter, they'll, they'll probably come. Um, there, there's a good chance that they'll come. And so it's a good time for some friends maybe that you have that you say, hey, I know they haven't been to church and I, I just really haven't been wanting to bug them with come into my church. Um, it's a perfect opportunity to invite somebody to come to church and, and to pray for them that God will, that they will encounter God in a unique way and that their lives will be changed and blessed uh, as a result of it. Um, in church, um, within the scriptures, in this gathering, we offer something unique that you can't get anywhere else. Um, and that's this opportunity to come together as a community and worship God. And, and we talked, I think, two weeks ago, and that is when we worship that we are meeting with God, that God meets us here. Um, and we have this unique opportunity to, to kind of fellowship, not only with one another, but to uh, meet with God. And so um, next Sunday, please invite, invite somebody, and um, it'll begin a new series. We're finishing up our Renovate series. That's why all of our stuff is gone. This series is, is over, and after you finish the renovation, you clean up. And so that's what we've done. So let's pray before we get into the Word. God, we give you thanks on this morning that you've given us this opportunity to open the Scriptures, um, to read them, to hear them. God, we just pray that as we've worshipped you and you've uh, met us here, that you will uh, help us to hear your word in new ways. That you will speak through me and you will speak to us, that we might um, hear what we need to hear, that we, our lives might be blessed, that we might be built up, that we might be renovated, that we might be a blessing to others. God, let us not be hoarders of stuff. But let us allow it to come in so that we can pour it out, so that we can be a blessing to the world. See your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so every renovation begins, right, with the end in mind. Whenever someone begins a renovation, they're not thinking about the work necessarily, but they're thinking about what the end will look like. In fact, there's blessings to a renovation. If you're renovating a home, normally you're thinking about how functional the renovation will make a, a space. You, you renovate a space in order to make it more functional, to change it so that it might be more useful or purposeful in your life. And so renovations always begin with this, this kind of end in mind. What is this going to look like? How is it going to function? What good is it going to be? How is it going to be different than it is right now? Now, several of you, since we started this series, have shared with me stories of renovations that you've done. And I've even seen some pictures of renovations and seen how you've taken spaces and transformed them and made them more functional, made them more useful. Even taking spaces that were previously unused, that didn't serve any, any purpose at all, and now they're spaces that are very useful and functional, and, and they're now they're part of your everyday life. The reality is that's what renovation is about. It's about taking the spaces and transforming them and making them more useful. There's, there's benefits to a renovation, right? We wouldn't begin a renovation unless there were benefits, right? Renovation isn't about change just for the sake of change. We're not just changing stuff just so that we can say that we changed it. We're not just taking a useless space and renovating it so that it will be another useless space or a space that has no purpose and renovating it so that it will be another purposeless space. We're trying to add functionality. We're trying to have some sort of benefit to the renovation. 
Many people, for renovation, it begins with this anxiety. It begins with this worry, this concern, especially if you're doing a major renovation in your house. And that's because there's this, this fear. I think there's this lurking fear. I've never done a renovation, but I can imagine what it, what it would be like for me. There would be this kind of fear right here at the back of my head that what if, I finish, what if I pour all this money into this project? What if I put all this time and all this effort and all this energy into this project and I don't like the end result? There's no benefit, and it's just a waste of time, a waste of money, and now my wasted space is still another wasted space, and I'm just out of my money. I just tore some things up and built something back that was pointless. Right? That's the anxiety of a renovation. But we, be- we begin renovation with the belief that when it is finished, that there will be a benefit. There will be some benefit to completion. There will be this new purpose that will be discovered in this space and that it will be able to be used in a, in a totally new way. And so we begin with the, with the end in mind. But the scriptures teach us that renovation in our life, when we're experiencing that, that our focus isn't just on the end. That when we're talking about spiritual renovation or renovation of our heart or renovation in our lives, we're not just focusing on the results or we shouldn't just focus on the results. In fact, the Bible teaches us that there are benefits while we're in the process. That while we're going through renovation, that there are benefits to our life. Now, when you're doing a renovation in your home, a lot of times there's headache, there's heartache, there's stress, there's all these different things, and you're just waiting for that day that it's finished, and you get to use that new space, and there's all these benefits and blessings to that renovation. But the Bible says that we get to experience the benefits of renovation now, that we experience them in our lives right now as God, as we are working with God to see the spaces in our lives renovated. Look at Psalm 103. Um, It says this. This is a a wonderful scripture. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. He says, don't forget the Lord's benefits. And it's talking to those of you who are in a relationship with God. There are benefits to that relationship. Verse 3 says, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. So this verse is saying there are benefits to being in a relationship with God in which you are being renovated. God has forgiven all your sins. As Blair was saying, as we move past those things, he's burying them in the ocean, in the deepest place. He forgives them. He wipes us clean. He takes those things and remembers them no more. He heals us from the wounds of our past and from the hardships and the heartache and the struggles that we've had. God is healing us. God actually is a physician. He, he reaches down into the depths of our soul and begins to renew and repurpose and use us for his glory. Places in our lives that we thought were wasted and, and torn up because of life experiences, God says, no, I want to heal that and I want to renew you. I want to make you whole so that I can use you for my purpose and for my glory. There's nothing Nothing that's messed up beyond repair by God. And it says God redeems your life from the pit. God takes us from a place of chaos, right? A place of confusion, a place of purposelessness, 
a place of wondering, what am I here for? What's my life for? And God says, hey, listen, if you allow me to work with you to renovate your life, I'll give you a new purpose. I will redeem your life from the pit of despair, from the pit of problems, from the pit of chaos, from the pit of meaninglessness, worthlessness, purposelessness. And I will give you purpose, and I will give you hope, and I will give you joy. It says he redeems us, he satisfies our desires, not with the things that we ask for necessarily, but with good things, because God knows what's best for us. And so the scripture is saying, yes, there's benefits while you're in the process of renovation. You don't have to wait till the end is here. There's benefits now. And so it's saying, turn to God. And work with God to see your life renovated. And yeah, it says, forget not all the benefits that are there. In fact, in a couple of uh, chapters later, in Psalm 107, it tells us, don't only remember the benefits. Don't only do that mind thing where you're saying, yeah, I know there's benefits. But it says, tell the story of what God is doing in your life. Look at Psalm 107. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the land of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south, let them tell their story. You may be used to reading this verse in maybe a different passage or a different version where it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When the scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, it's saying, tell this story. What God is doing in your life as God redeems you from the pit, as God repurposes you, as God renews you, begin to tell your story. Don't just let it be something that God's doing in your life, but begin to share it with others. You know, sometimes I think we get this this feeling that we uh, we aren't advanced enough or our lives haven't progressed to the point that we have a story to tell. But the reality is that every one of us who is here has some interaction with God and we have a story that we can tell about what God is doing in our lives. Whether that is that God drew you here this morning for the first time, um, whether that's that, you've, um, that there's some things in your life that you struggled with and you're leaving behind, or whether that's that there's hurting that you feel and you experience God um, 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 healing you from, or whether God is renewing your passions in a different area and you feel that God is calling you to be a blessing to others and minister to others. There's a story that we have and this verse is saying, let those who God has redeemed, let those who recognize they belong to God tell their story. Every one of us has a story. And that story is a progressive story. We talked last week about renovation being the progressive work of God and man, that God works with us, and progressively, God begins to build up things in us. God begins to do things in our life. My story is one of renovation. And most recently, one of the words that God has been speaking to me that I felt like is just a a word that just kind of came through crystal clear one day, Um, not as in a voice saying, Wesley, this word, but, uh, but it just came through in my mind, and that is acceptance. When you read the scriptures and you read about what God has done, the Bible is clearly telling us that God has accepted us where we are. And we live in this culture that's always pushing us to perform, 
and pushing us out into in the front and we're evaluated and we're based and are, we're judged we're um, you know on our jobs or in our homes and in different arenas of life we're evaluated and we're judged based upon our ability to perform and and I was I was hearing that from the world from culture saying performance performance perform in order to be accepted and God said be accepted in order that you might perform I'm not performing so that God may accept me, but I'm accepted by God in order that I might be prepared and perform in God's mission. And so the Bible is clear about that, and that's one of the ways that God has been working about renovation in my life is that one word. And it's a powerful thing, and God is saying to me, accept it. You're accepted. I love you wherever you are. Maybe that's a word for you this morning. And maybe you need to hear that. The reality is God isn't saying that our acceptance is based upon the things that we've done or our record of good. Our acceptance is based solely in Jesus Christ and the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. He's already paid the penalty. And God says, you're accepted where you are. Now live into that. Walk into that. You see, there's benefits to renovation. And that's one of the key benefits is that we don't have to worry about, we don't have to run around, we don't have to um, stress about being accepted in this world. We realize we've been accepted by God who created us. And he gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He places value over our lives. When we experience the process of renovation, the reality is it brings about joy in us. There is this unique joy that comes with being in a relationship with God. As we understand what God has already done, and as we come to an understanding of what God is currently doing in our lives, that brings about joy in us. Joy is a, a part of, a characteristic of the Christian life. And it's a benefit of renovation that we experience not just when the renovation is complete, but that we experience along the way. And our joy is grounded in the fact that our relationship with God has already overcome the greatest obstacle. The greatest challenge to our relationship with God or barrier to us relating to God has already been accomplished, has already been overcome in Jesus Christ. You know, this Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's a Sunday that we remember. Where it commemorates the time when Jesus went into Jerusalem. He rode, in the scriptures it says, he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And that people lined the streets and that people were shouting, Hosanna. And they were waving palm leaves and they were laying their coats on the, on the ground. They were rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. And he was walk, going into Jerusalem, not, just, not so that people might praise him, but he was going into Jerusalem so that he might prepare himself to go to the cross so that we might be set free, so that the barrier between us and God might be overcome, so that we might be unleashed, if you will, to have a relationship with God. And so we find joy in the fact that that, that barrier, that hindrance to a relationship with God, that sin, the fact that the Bible says that we were living as enemies of God, that we were living in rebellion, we had our backs turned to God, and God turned his face to us, even when we had our backs turned to God. And so Palm Sunday commemorates when Jesus set his face toward the cross, knowing that what he was about to do was going to be the greatest expression of love that the world could ever know. 
And that he would say to us that I accept you, that I love you, that you are mine no matter where you are in life. This barrier between you relating to me has already been overcome. And we find joy in knowing that we can turn to God and experience God's forgiveness, his grace, and his love. You see, now Jesus and the cross is the hope or the foundation of our joy. We experience renovation, and it's not just we're working and striving, but it's we're working with God, and God is really doing something in our life. And this brings about joy, and it's all possible because of the cross, because of what God did on the cross, because it was there that we were freed from this kind of this running, this, this, um, this cycle of, of sin and struggle and trying to do right and trying to appease and please God. And so before the renovation is even complete, God has freed us from that cycle, and he's saying, yeah, there's these progressive steps that I want you to take with me, and that as you take those steps closer and closer to me and to my will, there's joy in that. You see, we experience joy as a part of the Christian life, and there's a difference between joy and happiness. You see, joy is rooted in, the, in, in something that's enduring, something that's eternal, something that lasts forever. It's, it's rooted in, in fact of what's already happened. But happiness, on the other hand, is based on temporary and short-lived, fleeting situations, situations that can change overnight from time to time. I remember last year, this funny story, actually. Um, we had this spider living in our car. You remember that spider that was living in our car? We had this spider that was living in our car. Every morning, we'd get up to go to work. We'd ride together. We'd get up to go to work. And, um, and there would be spider webs built across our, or constructed, or whatever spiders, they construct, lay, lay spider webs across our windshield. And so every morning, I would get up, and we'd get in the car, and I would knock these spider webs down. Because this spider, was, he was nowhere to be found when I got in the car. But every morning, the spider webs would be there. And so one evening, we were leaving the house, we were getting ready to leave. It was dark. It's probably about 8 or 9 o'clock. It was cold. It was just one of those days, and this spider comes running across the windshield. And wherever we were going, we were late. And I, I didn't have time to go try to find a piece of tissue or, or, or a piece of paper and try to smush it gently. So I just smacked this spider with my bare hand. I just bare hand. He showed his face, and I smacked it. And, uh, and I missed but what I did hit was I hit the windshield with my ring, and it shattered. And I had a spider crack across my windshield, and it was dark, and the spider was gone. I, was, I didn't know where it was, and we just had to leave. And so we drove to wherever we were going, knowing that I had missed the spider. Now I had this crack all the way across my windshield, and the next morning the spider web was there again. <laughs> it was like the spider was taunting me, right? It changed me, from my, changed my happiness. I was no longer happy anymore. Right? Happiness can change. It just takes one situation. You could be as happy as could be. Great things could happen. But something negative can change that happiness into sorrow, into, into fear, into anger, into frustration, into vengeance, wanting to get back at that spider. And we never found that spider. Um, but that's the way that happiness is. But the scriptures teach us that joy is different. That our joy is rooted in Jesus Christ and what God has already done on our behalf. It's rooted in fact and what's already been accomplished. 
And so joy has no contradiction. It does not change. So negative things happen, and it does not steal our joy. Bad things or hardships that we go through, it does not steal our joy. Because God is still God, and God has still conquered death in the grave. And we know what the end will be. In fact, we know what the end of renovation in our lives will be. In Philippians, Paul talks about this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And so our joy is rooted in what God has already done and the assurance that is there that God will complete the work of renovation that he's already begun. And so our joy doesn't change because there's spiders in our car taunting us. Right? This joy doesn't change because of a bad day at work. Or the joy doesn't change because of a person that said that one thing that you know sets you off every time. Right? That doesn't change our joy. Because our joy is rooted in who God is and what God has done. And so the Bible is calling us to have joy through the difficult situations. In fact, in James it says this. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, joy changes our perspective. It says, yes, this may be a problem. Yes, this may be an inconvenience. Yes, it's going to cost me to change my windshield. Um, Yes, this is a trouble for me in my life. But God is able to use this to produce in me something greater. God is able to use this trouble. God is able to use this hardship. God is able to use this negative situation to produce positive results in me. And we see that from time to time to time in the scriptures. And the scriptures are always challenging us to stick it out. To allow God's work to be completed in us. Not to give up and not to turn because of hardship. But to trust that through it, God will produce something in us. And God will position us for the calling that God has on our lives. We see this in Genesis. I love the story of Joseph in Genesis. Um, And it's a long story. It runs at least half the chapter kind of here and there throughout the book of of Genesis. And it's a story of this guy named Joseph. If you're familiar with the story, right, his brothers turned on him. They sold him into slavery. He became a slave. His slave master's wife accused him of rape. He got thrown into prison. In prison, he was forgotten about for years and years and years. He was looked over, although he wasn't guilty of any of this stuff, right, he faced one bad situation after another, one negative situation after another, one hardship after another. I mean, Joseph was going through. If there's any such thing as going through, Joseph was going through. But the amazing thing about that story is that God used the the trials, God, God used the situation, God used the negative experiences that Joseph went through to elevate him, to prepare him, and to position him for a calling that God had upon his life. And I get chills every time I read the end of that story in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Listen to what Joseph said. Because God made Joseph second in charge to the king, to Pharaoh. He gave him power to get back at those who did him wrong. 
He could have easily had his brothers thrown into prison. In fact, his brothers ended up relying on him to feed them because there was a famine in the land. And so he could have easily gotten back at those who did him wrong. But listen listen to what he says. He says, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And Joseph is able to look back and say, yes, I've been through trouble. Yes, I've been through trial. But God was using that to produce something in me and to position me for his work and for what he was calling me to do. And that's the root and the foundation of our joy. Yeah, we're going through trials. Yes, we face hardship. Yes, there are things in life that are tough. But God is able to use that to prepare us and to position us to do great things. And so the Bible is always telling us, yeah, God is doing a work and renovation in your life. God is preparing you for something. And that's joy. You have joy because of that. Because God is doing this work. And you can have this assurance that the, what the end will be. That God is not renovating us purposelessly. God isn't transforming a useless space into another useless space or a purposeless space into another purposeless space, but God is giving us purpose. God is giving us passion. God is preparing us for something. And so James says, consider it pure joy when you face these trials because it's producing in you something. It's doing something in your life. You know, the scriptures teach us that God is relentlessly pursuing our joy that God will not let up, that God will not back down, that God will not rest unless he's accomplished our joy. God is all about producing joy in us. God is all about producing joy in us. And everything that God does is for our joy. The scriptures teach that God's commands are for our joy. That God commands us, God instructs us in order that we might more fully experience his joy. Look at John chapter 15. It says, as the Father has loved me, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's command and remained in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He says, I've told you to keep my commands in order that your joy may be complete. The reality is God is not trying to limit us. God is trying to liberate us through his commands. The scriptures aren't about restricting us. It's about God letting us loose that we might embrace, that we might be the people that he created us to be. It's about God guiding us into the places where he created us to go and the places where our lives are most fulfilling. And so the Bible is teaching us that God's commands, God is relentlessly pursuing our joy, and God's commands are all about our joy. That God's commands are all about positioning us so that we might most fully experience God's love. And that we might more fully be a blessing to the world. And that we might more fully walk into the places that we were created for and be prepared and positioned for the things that God created us to do. God is relentlessly pursuing our joy. Not only is God, are God's commands for our joy, but God's discipline is for our joy. That's a hard word for us to swallow. Sometimes we experience this as consequences. We do something wrong, we have consequences, right? There's consequences to all every action. 
And the Bible saying that God is using these things to discipline us, to straighten out our lives. Look, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. This reminds you of that time when your parents spanking you and, that, and they're saying, I'm doing this because I love you, right? It says, God is treating you as children when you endure these hardships. For what child or what children are not disciplined by their fathers? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And so it says, listen, the hardships that you face in life are evidence that God has claimed you as his own and God wants to be in a relationship with you. And then God is wanting us to experience that discipline and not to grow angry or, um, or uh, fearful, but to turn to God and be his child and allow him to be our father. It says, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of the spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And that's true. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so it says even discipline, even the hardships that we go through as a result of, as a consequence of mistakes that we've made or things that we've done wrong, that God is using that to discipline us, that we might turn our attention to him and that we might more fully experience his joy. God is relentlessly pursuing our joy. I love this quote by J.R. Packard. He's a theologian, a writer, like a Christian author. He says, still he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both sorrows and joys to detach their love from, the th- from other things and attach it to himself. He's saying God desires our fellowship. And yeah, he's going to send some sorrows. And yes, he will send some joys. And there will be consequences in order that our hands might be detached from the things that will ultimately hurt us, the things that are not of God, and so that we might be more fully attached to God. That we might be more fully connected to God and his purposes for us, that we might more fully experience the love of God and the joy of God that is only available in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says, yeah, God's commands are for your joy. God's discipline is for your joy. And then the final thing it says is hardships and trials, things that aren't even sent from God. Sometimes we ask, why do do bad things happen? Or or why is there so much pain in the world? Um, The Bible says that these things are even for our joy. When we go through things that we say this can't be from God, yeah, a lot of times it's not. But the Bible says God still will use it for our joy. To the Corinthians, Paul talks about going through these hard hard times. He talks about there being a treasure within each one of us. That treasure being the gospel, the story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. That the church is God's plan A for spreading the good news about what God has done. And the Bible says that's a treasure that's within each one of us. As frail as we may be, God's trusted the message of Jesus Christ to human beings. And Paul says this. He says um, in, in Corinthians uh, chapter, Second Corinthians chapter four, he says, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay, 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. We are pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. It says God has entrusted this message of the gospel to us and the way that we endure, the way that we go through trials, the way that we face hardships, the way that we experience those things in our life is a testimony to the power of the gospel that God has entrusted to us, that he's placed in our life. And so the reality is if we say that God is strong, we're always going to be challenged to live that out, to rely on God's strength in the midst of hardship to rely on God's strength through sorrowful times, to rely on God's strength when we're grieving and when we're sad and when we're confused and we don't know what to do or where to go. We're always going to be challenged. If we say that God is strong, we're going to be challenged to prove it. And this verse is saying, yeah, when we're hard-pressed, that's a time to prove it. When we're persecuted, that's a time to prove it. When we go through challenging times, that's a time to prove it. Towards the end of that chapter, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so it says, yes, we're going through. And yes, there's trials in the midst of renovation. We find joy in that because we believe that God is doing something in us. Though outwardly we're wasting away, though outwardly we're becoming tired, though outwardly we're becoming weary, though outwardly our bodies are beginning to fail us as we grow older, though outwardly these things are happening, inwardly we're being renewed. We're being prepared for that day when God will call us to be with him for all eternity. God is using our trials, God is using our hardships to prepare us for something, to position us, and that is a source of joy in our lives because we know what the end will be. I love Revelation, and I just want to close with this verse in chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is what the end is going to be. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death nor, or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This verse is telling us that this old order of things, the order that we're now experiencing, will one day pass away and renovation will be complete. And we're just challenged to stick with it, to stick it out. I'll say it one more time. I've said it enough. Renovation doesn't happen overnight. It happens over life. And the Bible is challenging us to stick it out because that's what the end will be. It will be a fully renewed creation. Renovation will be complete. We'll be able to live with God forever. We'll be able to say, now God's dwelling is with us. God dwells among us. The renovation has now been complete. But as for now, we're making steps 
forward. And I want to challenge you this morning that as you experience God's renovation, that you make this commitment that I will not go back. It's a progressive work that God is doing in your life. And yes, you will make steps forward. But as you make steps forward, as Blair said, as you bury those things in the sea, I will not go back to those things. I will not go dig them up. I will not go after them. As God, if I experience God's renovation, yes, I'm leaving some things behind and I'm not going to go back to them. So the worship team is going to come back up and we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, I want you to think about that. What have you buried? What have you left behind? What of your past that God has freed you from? I won't go back. Or what are you being freed from right now? And what is it that you're struggling with that you can't wait for that day that you're able to say, that's behind me. I struggle no more. God is saying, I want to renovate you and I'm bringing about renovation in your life. It's progressive. But stick with it. Do the work. Experience my joy along the way. And make this commitment. I will not go back to the way things used to be. Let's pray.